Well, good. Well, that's it, Daisy. We have Bethany on the line here. What would you like to ask her? Going now from the limited partner side to the GP side and breaking into the space for our first deal, what are some of those recommendations that you would give us from, you know, having been on the operating side for, for quite some time? So the lenders are looking at it from a different perspective. On the residential side, right, they're looking at you. What's your credit score? On the GP side of a a deal for underwriting, they're looking at who the team is. So one of the best things that I can tell you is always team up with someone who has experience and don't necessarily team up with somebody just because you know them. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 49 and part of our Ask the Expert series. Today, we bring experienced investor Bethany Finch and aspiring investor Daisy Serrano on the podcast. Stay tuned to find out how to use your passive investing experience to launch your active investing career and how to manage business relationships with family. And now, the show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. Uh, very excited for today's show. This is one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We have two amazing people on the line here. We've got a woman with a ton of experience in this and other businesses, Bethany Finch and a very motivated and energetic aspiring investor, Daisy Serrano. So first, Bethany has been an entrepreneur for over 25 years. She's done direct sales, consulting, real estate investing, and has worked literally from the ground up. Her and her husband have a portfolio that hit a high point of 5,000 doors, and they're in the process of liquidating all their properties in Washington State to be more strategic about multifamily markets. Goal for their company is to continue sustainable growth model, to enable them and others who wish to join to be able to provide passive income so that their most precious resource time can be devoted to organizations and people where they can have the greatest impact. So that said, Bethany, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. I pr- I'm glad to be here. Yeah, this is this is great. You know, we've uh, we talked a couple times before and I was really excited that you said yes, actually. So, <laughs> you know. There's always a little bit of hesitation when you put those those emails out. It's like, hmm, I hope they say yes. I hope they say yes. Anyway. Well, actually, it's it's um the biggest thing is I'm thankful that you asked. So many people don't ask. Mm-hmm. And now they're finding out after the fact. And they're like, well, why didn't you do my podcast? Or why didn't you do this? And I'm like, you never you didn't ask. ask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's simple, you know, uh, simple. You don't just, just ask somebody and... Maybe you get a yes, maybe you get a no. And if you get a no, you're no worse off than where you started. So right? Um, yeah, so so there we go. So let me ask you to give us a little history on your background. Uh, yes, so 25 years as an entrepreneur, I know this is not a baby face, right? These wrinkles mm-hmm. came hard earned, but we, um, I have started literally from the ground up early on when when you're single and you're both working and mm-hmm. you don't have tax breaks and I'm, you know, the accountant finance person, I'm looking at this going, we're paying a ton of money in taxes. How can mm-hmm. I solve this problem? And uh, just started realizing, well, businesses get all the write-offs. How do I start a business? Yeah. And that's literally how it started. It was the original quest to save money on taxes. I didn't want to pay uncle Sam any more of money. And so once I started figuring that out, it was like, 
oh, wait a minute, I just need to start a business. So that's how the process got started enrolling early on. It was to provide some extra income, save money on taxes. Didn't take long for me to figure out. I definitely am more entrepreneurial minded than Mm -hmm. sitting in a cubicle and, and doing what my college background and all that is. And so it's like, yeah there's a way to promote this one and get out of that one. I'm all for it. So that's yeah. what I did. Yeah. So, I mean, two birds with one stone. I mean, you, you do something that you're naturally good at and you save money on taxes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, win-win, right? Uh, so one, right. one of the best things I think I did, you know, in my mid twenties is I signed up for a, an income tax course through a local community college. You know, it was just one of those things where it was like, I need to figure out this tax thing. And at the time, honestly, it was so I didn't have to pay somebody to do it for me. You know, that was my, my mentality at the time. But also, I learned a lot of things about how businesses and how real estate extremely tax friendly. You know, I think that's one of the big motivations for a lot of people to do, you know, multifamily or just real estate in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you get into real estate? Um, so that's a still a little more on the why I went, became an entrepreneur side of things. Okay. So in growing up with the background that both my husband and I grew up with, we literally, you know, came from nothing. And um, I was in and out of foster care and different things like that. So um, knew what it was to have nothing. And obviously, when you start a family, you want to provide something and do more. Yeah. So although we were both very hard workers, there's still limits to what you can do with a job and, and W-2. So I was always looking for what, how else can we do this and what can we do? Because we want to provide a better mm-hmm. life. How can we make that happen? So that took outside of the box thinking, it took a lot of moves. It took a lot of career changing, really kind of deciding and asking, why am I doing this? What am I doing? How mm-hmm. am I going to get there? So setting goals, not really understanding that that's what I was doing, but uh, recognizing we want it, we're working towards something. So we, as we figured out the entrepreneur side of things and started figuring out, well, we make a whole lot more money on the business side. Then the next burning question was, how can we, you know, buy a house, right? When your income is limited based on your wages and there's only so much that you can do and you only have so much time, we started trying to expand that question and it's like, okay, well, how can we buy a place? And so literally, like I said, we started from the ground up. My husband was a groundskeeper years ago on the very first property. And that's ground up, literally, <laughs> um, how he got started on that reside. And then through there, he's literally continued to work through it. We've worked on the property management side of it. We've also worked on the asset management side of it and all the way up to the, to the ownership, doing the full renovations and everything. And all along the way, the business mindset, I'm the entrepreneur in the family. And so that business mindset, I'm looking at this going, we can do this. We can totally do what they're doing. We can do this. We can do this, you know? And, and uh, so it took a lot longer to convince my husband of that. <laughs> so it was mostly me uh, jumping in and doing it all. And then him slowly coming on alongside and going, Hey, wait, we really can do this. And wait, retirement is an option. It's no longer out the door. I don't have to die working, you know, suddenly it started getting his juices flowing. And so once he realized that he's like, well, I guess that means we have to buy a house, huh? So then you have to start looking. And then we started doing basically market research and figuring out, well, where can we afford? And that led us down the road of affordable housing. Where is it at? And oftentimes, how hard is it and all of that? And so it literally was a desire to provide that led us, that continued to lead us. And then because we just, we've always been in the real estate investment side of it through the multifamily through that asset management, through property management, through all of that, 
And it wasn't on my end, in, it wasn't a leap of faith. It was it just the next logical step. It made sense for my husband. He said it felt like it was diving off the deep end and there's no water. <laughs> so it depends on who you ask, but that's literally how we um, started with one property and then go, oh, there's got to be a better way we can do this. This isn't scalable. This isn't, you know, and then you add more and then you, yep. you kind of work your way through it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. You know, so, so something about your, your why, I mean, you're, you're looking to, to provide your kids with, with something that, uh, that you guys didn't have, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people are, are aiming to do as well. And, you know, real estate is something that absolutely can do that and affordable housing. Um, something that, that I also really enjoy about this is everybody needs a place to live and, you know, we want it to be clean and safe for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's that's something most people in the world will agree on. And this allows us to take part of providing clean, safe housing for people. Absolutely. Okay. And okay. too many times that's actually what led us down our multifamily path because was we would be walking properties. So many unfortunate slumlords, they mm-hmm. have their remote investing. They have yep. no idea yep. that the property managers aren't taking care of anything. They have no idea that their conditions are the way they are. Some of them may know, okay, mm-hmm. granted. But the rest yep. of them, I honestly don't believe that they knew. And if they knew that babies were sleeping next to mold-covered walls and mm-hmm. rivers of water are flowing through the house because of a foundation crack, and you know that they would do something about it, but they yeah. don't. And so the community organizations, that's what actually got us involved more heavily with the communities when they started reaching out. And they're going, Bethany, nobody is meeting this need. We yeah. need some liaison here. And how can we make this happen? And what can we do? We have a waiting list a mile long, you know? Yeah. So that's, it just kind of continued to open doors. Yeah. And we, we bought something that kind of matched your description, you know, a little bit ago. And, you know, it, you always wonder, you know, what does, what does the owner know? You know, the, the one we purchased, the the owner was in, in his 80s. So it was very likely that he probably didn't have a, a good handle of exactly what was going on in the property. But yeah, and now now we're doing what you're talking about. We're fixing it up. We're making it nice. We're making nice, clean, affordable housing for people to live in. And that's, yep. it's just good, a good feeling at the end of the day. Yeah, at the end of the night, you sleep better knowing that. Mm-hmm. But if, they're, if you're in the same community, you see those people and you know, I made a difference to them. It's mm-hmm. like kind of like that. Um, you've seen the the story of the little boy walking along the ocean and all the starfish. Oh yeah. And he's throwing them in one by one. And this old guy comes along. What are you wasting your time for? You're not making any difference. And he's like, I made a difference to that one. Yep. And that's kind of the same thing, right? You you have an opportunity to make a difference, even if it's just one home at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And if enough people are doing that, uh, you know, the difference is going to be, you know, multiplied over many levels. So, well, nice. Absolutely. Well, can you give us an idea of some of the things that you guys have invested in and, you know, what your your investment philosophy is? Yes. So, believe it or not, our investment philosophy isn't profits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that's going to sound shocking, but it's not. Our investment philosophy has always been people first, profit second. So, when we're looking at rental markets, um, we're looking at is there a demand and is there a need there? Mm-hmm. Specifically in the case of affordable housing, we don't touch A-grade property at all. Yep. Um, it just doesn't make any sense to us. and never has, even though we've had some of them, we're just not a fan. Mm-hmm. So in that mindset, we look at those communities and where can we make an impact and how can we make an impact? So it may be 
we're, yes, we're getting a multifamily in there, but sometimes we're starting in communities where we're just picking up some single families, Mm -hmm. building the community relationships. And then ultimately we end up getting our multifamily from those relationships. So it's kind of reverse engineered sometimes. Hmm. And so we've worked with uh, local county and city governments to um, actually renovate entire neighborhoods. We've had some that were gang infested and the police know us really well and said, hey, we know you do this. Would you guys consider this? Approached the city, county. They talked with us about it. They said, hey, we'll give you tax credits if you do this. We're like, okay, but here's how. So we just started having that conversation. So yes, at the end of the day, the dollars need to make sense right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's got to be some gain to it. Our investors don't want to not make yeah. money, right? Yeah. But there's also got to be a return on investment, not just money-wise for us, but impact-wise. And I think today, especially, there, there's a lot of people who invest for more than one thing, for more than just monetary returns. There's a lot of people who want to invest in projects that make sense and in projects that help other people. Or, you know, for some people, it's some people have different philosophies. Some people are investing in projects, you know, that, you know, are green or, or whatever. But I think if you find the right investor, you know, just like you, they'll, they'll settle for maybe slightly lower returns, knowing that they've made a difference in the world or in a community. Well, and, and what we have found, it comes back more. So for instance, the, those investors that go you know, it's all about the numbers and I want a 20% cash on cash and I want this and I want this and I want this, right? Mm-hmm. They'll go in, they'll do that one project and then they'll leave. They'll never get repeat business. They'll never get, and that's not what our goal is, create sustainable growth. Mm-hmm. We're planning to be there for a long time. So it's not like it's a one and done thing. And so those relationships that get established early on oftentimes bring you more of those deals down the road or they'll continue to grow in a way that the return isn't always just money and and it is an impact on that community. We're seeing literally families change that go went from poverty because now they have a better chance at life and they have better programs and things like that. And so it's okay. it's definitely a better return. Yeah. You know, and just, just looking at what you're doing, if you're improving communities, you're also improving the property values. The, the two are definitely interconnected, you know, so gang infested areas are going to have very low property values and extremely mm-hmm. high cap rates once you're talking about commercial real estate. So you know, the price per unit is going to be a lot lower. You go in, you, you get rid of the gangs, you get rid of the drugs, and you bring in community programs and make it safe. You've gotten a lot of return on your investment right there. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Now we've talked about this before. I, I know you do a lot of charitable work as well. Donate a lot of your profits to charity as well. Can you tell us a little, little bit about some of those programs that you do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, as Christians, we're firm believers in tithing and supporting mm-hmm. your local church, but Um, We've always tried to take it a step further because there's a passage in the Bible that talks about where, you know, rich man has all this wealth and his barns are overflowing. And so Mm -hmm. he decides to build more barns to just keep holding on to those riches. And, you know, basically Christ's answer is you shouldn't have built more barns. Mm -hmm. I gave you the excess to get rid of the excess. You were taken care of. Your needs were met. Now continue to help. And and basically we are vessels, right? So with that mindset of us being a vessel, we're out to try to very strategically move that and and just continue to be that funnel that it moves through so that it does go to not just reputable organizations, because there are a lot of organizations people are unaware of. They assume just because it's a 501c3 that it's doing good. And there's a lot of not so good ones or that, for instance, every dollar you give them, 86 cents of it is going to their administration. And only 14 cents is actually going to the program, you know, so, Mm -hmm. but getting funds back into those 
organizations so that they no longer have to spend all year long fundraising because now they can count it on their budget as a line item from us. And so on all of our single family renovations and things of that nature or our Airbnbs that we run, we always turn that immediately back to the local community. We've tried to help local pastors set up retirement accounts, Mm -hmm. recognizing that the churches are one of the foundation of support services. And many of them don't have that and teaching them and having that done through the church. So there's transparency and accountability. And then also doing the same thing on the multifamily side, we'll attach a 501c3 to each one of our properties so that, mm-hmm. like I said, they're counting that income as a line item and they just know month after month it's coming in and they don't have to fundraise for it. So they can get back to doing what they were doing. Some programs yeah. like Underground Railroad, Samaritan's Purse, different ones like that are um, some of our big ones that we work with. Nice, nice. And that, that speaks volumes to your character. You know, just, you know, I, I love the analogy you gave. Once your vessel is overflowing, you know, you're, you're to give of your excess. I, I think that's very, very noble. And it's something that we aspire to do as well. So, you know, not quite to your level yet, but you know, we'll get there. We'll definitely yeah, get there. I don't think it's about noble, yeah. honestly. I think it's about almost laziness. The more stuff you have, the more you got to clean it. I want to clean it. The more you got to take care of it. I don't want any maintenance. Yep. I don't want any of that stuff. So it might just be I'm just lazy, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, we need more lazy people in this world then. So, you know, <laughs> put it that way. Well, that's good. So we, we've talked a lot about your, you know, your why coming through it, but if you can just, you know, focus on that, that why for a second, I mean, we, we wove it in and out of, of what we've talked about. What is your big burning why for this? So um, the big burning why has always been my family. Everybody says that I know that, but yeah. a key component of this has literally been the men in my family, my mm-hmm. husband, my son, my brothers. So we saw I saw, I should say, <laughs> my husband didn't know about it until I told him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he saw it, of course. Yep. Yeah, right. Um, we, we have seen, unfortunately, generationally, with the power, women's empowerment movement, mm-hmm. it has also kind of gone to the other extreme. And it mm-hmm. is it almost, and I'm not sure if it's demasculated isn't the right word, unmasculated, emasculated. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically kind of knocked down men to say, no, you don't need to be up here and 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 trying to assume a role instead of just really truly going for equality or raising up to that they're trying to like do this to beat the other one down and in doing so what i saw was a lot of despair in the men in my life they Mm -hmm. felt hopeless they felt like there was like i said no hopes of retirement they're gonna have to work till they die they felt stuck they felt unchallenged Mm -hmm. the warrior side of them that you know literally god designed them to be was very much being squashed so when I, as an entrepreneur, my husband used to joke and he would say, I think for retirement, we should just get our own property and then we'll just live on the property and we'll just run it and that'll be our retirement. And I'm thinking, that sounds like a terrible retirement. Yeah. Why would I want to be that? Yeah. Sounds like more work. But in his mind, yeah. But in his mind, that's the only way he could equate to us having any kind of retirement. Because you're working, you're trying to take care of your family. You're trying to, you know, get by paycheck to paycheck. You never feel like you're getting ahead. Life keeps handing stuff to you and then things happen. So the big why was how do I build my husband back up? How do I build my brothers back up? How do I empower the men in my community, even our contractors and, and that and whatnot? How do I do that? And literally, as I just continue to pray about it, the Lord just showed me, I want you to start this business. And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> so we've our business has come and gone multiple directions and that why was to 
literally rebuild those men, mm-hmm. strengthen them, give them, give them hope again, help them to see there is a vehicle and a tool that's possible. Mm-hmm. And um, how it can look is not necessarily what everybody else says it is. It can be mm-hmm. whatever they want it to be. So my husband is just now getting to the point um, of being able to feel like he can dream again. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Well, I, I love a lot of things. I, like, like I said, I love all the, the good things that you're doing. You know, I, like I said, the world needs more people like you, but what's, what's next for you and your entrepreneurial businesses? Um, a lot. Huh. Yeah. Well, Where do we start? Yeah. So, um, just due to COVID, we actually launched an education program a couple of weeks ago. So providing on-site remote learning center for parents. So that's one avenue. Uh, still have our Airbnbs still going and, and growing. We're, we are focusing more on our other markets. Washington is not a landlord-friendly state. So we were in the process of liquidating the last few years to invest more heavily in the other ones. And so kind of transitioning a lot of that as well as just stabilizing and continuing to grow the asset management side of the company. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see more. Well, I know um, we'll see more of our investments in Texas, Ohio, mm-hmm. Alabama, and Tennessee grow as based on what we've already got out there and whatnot. So. All right. Nice. Well, let's shift gears right here. We've got, uh, you know, Daisy Serrano also on the line with us. She's a limited partner in 253 units in Texas. She's a leader in the Women's Real Estate Network, as well as Prospanica, which is the Association of Hispanic Professionals. She has over 10 years of experience in international relations, education, management, and counseling. She's worked with clients in 25 plus countries and has thrived supporting large organizations and government structures. That said, Daisy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. You, we recently interviewed you for Odd Podcast as well. Yeah. I'm really excited to be here today with you. Yeah, it's been great getting to know you and your, your fiance as well. He was also a guest on, on this show as well. You know, come full circle on this one. So yeah. yeah, it's been really good getting to know you and getting to know him as well. So let's start with talking about you, a little bit about your background and your history. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me on again. So I'm originally from Southern California, still live in in California and LA right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're actually looking to transition over to Texas here pretty soon. That's something that's in the works. But uh, yeah, originally from from Southern California and born and raised out here and, you know, went to school, got a degree and and started working. I sort of Mm -hmm. fell into international education uh, right after college. My plan was actually to work in the juvenile detention center. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, my background was in criminology and did that, but realized it was difficult for me um, to balance the emotional side, wanting to do a lot more for the boys, for the yes. minors working with that I could, than I can do. And so ended up, you know, going into international education and have been in the space for the last 10 years and in various capacities. For me, it's just, it's, Real estate sort of happened. Uh, I was mm-hmm. it was totally unplanned. Uh, my fiance, as you mentioned, Luke, he has a construction and engineering background, so mm-hmm. very numbers driven. Yep. He was the first uh, actually to to bring it up. Uh, you know, to to talk about real estate, to talk about the the big you know reasons why. And I always thought like, oh yeah, that's your thing, but I I have my own thing. It's you know very mm-hmm. different. We're very different personality wise, and and just in terms of our of our goals and and our whys. And so. Uh, yeah, we, he just, you know, kept talking about it. And, you know, I ended up going to a couple meetups with him and mm-hmm. uh, started getting exposed more so to to the space. Uh, but even then, I was still pretty, pretty resistant to it in terms mm-hmm. of 
myself being, you know, within within the space in any capacity. And it was really once I understood the power and the access that I was able to create, not only for myself, but for my family, for my community. Uh, Bethany spoke quite a bit about being very community oriented. That's mm-hmm. really a big reason for, for me to, to end up making that transition over. So I'm in the middle of that transition right now. Uh, we've invested in 253 units in San Antonio, Texas uh-huh. at LPs, as passive investors and are now jumping onto the, the active side. Right now, you know, going through uh, building our team, getting more in tune with the underwriting portion, um, you know, meeting lenders, meeting brokers, just really creating the the ecosystem around you know, where we want to be to be able to to take that next step. Nice, nice. Now you say you, you you've passively invested in San Antonio. Do you know where in Texas you're moving to? Not quite. That's mm-hmm. something we're still figuring it out. So yep. uh, the goal for us is actually to to be able to make a move out there by end of the year. Okay. Um, next year so um yeah that's that's sort of where you know where we're heading and are actually going out there we're we'll, we're actually getting married this weekend and then taking our honeymoon time to fly out in texas to meet with people and network and start to build that team so definitely just you know all in i know you know bethany talked in in other places about you know if you've committed you have to just go all in and jump into it so that's where we are we're just mm-hmm jumping in and, and figuring it out as we go for sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, huge congratulations. Uh, you know, weddings are kind of, kind of a big deal. Yeah. That's awesome. So you heading out to Texas, I, I assume your, your investing aspirations are going to kind of guide you a little bit into where you live or what, what do you think about that? Yeah, we're looking at either Dallas or Austin in terms of being bigger areas and having access to a lot of the other markets in that mm-hmm. are in close proximity. So um, we're really in between right now, those two. And, and part of the trip is figuring, you know, more so the logistical side of it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's right now it's between those those two. Okay. And you said that's your honeymoon trip. It is our honeymoon trip. So right. Right now, I mean, we can't go anywhere really internationally and enjoy yeah. it, right? Because of COVID. That's oh, true. It's true. Yep. You know, we might as well use the time that we have off to just get yeah. our life started and, and get that part of the business mm-hmm. started. So, all right. Well, as long as long as you're both, uh, you know, agreeing that's the way to go, that's, uh, you know, that works, you know. So, uh, well, that's awesome. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your big burning why and, and what you hope to to get out of real estate investing. Yeah, for me, it's it's a few different things. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm very community oriented. A lot of what I do and who I am revolves around my family and my community. So for me, it's really, uh, you know, being able to retire my parents is, is a huge part of it for me. Uh, they're both from Mexico, migrated to the U.S. in search of the American dream and mm-hmm. have in very many ways attained that American dream. But retirement wasn't something that they planned for or even knew or had access to. Yep. And so for me now, you know, knowing what I know and, and you know, learning what I'm learning, it's it's being able to set them up for success for the remainder of, of their time, right? Uh, yep. However long they may have, and and be able to give back a little bit for everything that they've done for me. You know, mm-hmm. having migrated to a whole different country, not knowing the language, just so many barriers. So yeah. that's one uh, for me. That's really really um, big. It's one of my main driving forces, mm-hmm. and then. On the other end, it's really creating more access for millennials to invest. Mm-hmm. Because for me, coming from you know a lower socioeconomic background, a predominantly Mexican Latino community, nobody that I knew growing up or even now uh, had access to investing. I have even known that that's something that's possible. So for me, a really big why is just creating more awareness about 
the opportunity that exists and providing a platform. So something that we're looking into is for, for Luke, my fiance and I is being able to provide a certain amount of our next deal, opening that up to friends and family, to people that maybe wouldn't have the access or the availability to invest in property mm-hmm. uh, and, and just showing them that it's possible and by doing it ourselves and then creating that, that opportunity for them to be able to, to create more access in our community and elevate our community essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, community is, is definitely a big thing, community and family. And I spent a lot of time south of the border in the Latino community. That Those are two huge themes. And it's one thing that I really, really love about the Latino culture is family and community are top priorities for everybody. So, well, good. Well, that said, Daisy, we have Bethany on the line here. What would you like to ask her? Bethany, it's so great meeting you. Thank you for, for the wealth of information that you are and, and the beautiful mm-hmm. person that you are on the inside as well, which is, which is interesting to see. Uh, so one of the questions that I'd, I'd love to ask is going now from the limited partner side to the GP side and breaking into the space for our first deal, what are some of those recommendations that you would give us from you know having been on the operating side for, for quite some time? Okay, so uh, Daisy, thank you so much for allowing me to be here and for taking this call and, and whatnot. It's great to meet you as well. In regards to what it might look like for breaking over, crossing that line, right? It seems like just a line on a piece of paper, but can be so much scarier in the reality of things, right? One of the best things that I tell people is having come from both single family and multifamily, there, the, the difference, yes, it's number of doors, but the difference is scalability. So you already are recognizing that scalability part of it in that it's much more scalable and um, the income, the numbers make a lot more sense than a single family, things of that nature. But from a GP side of it, the lenders are looking at it from a different perspective. On the residential side, right, they're looking at you. What's your credit score? What are the comps in the area look like? This, right? So they're looking at you. On the GP side of a, a deal for underwriting, they're looking at who the team is. They do not like to see one individual uh, running a deal, unless it's mm-hmm. super tiny, 20 units or less, they're good with even up to 40, they may be okay with, but oftentimes they, they're looking at your team. So one of the best things that I can tell you is always team up with someone who has experience and don't necessarily team up with somebody just because you know them. Okay. Mm-hmm. I say that for two reasons. Two of the biggest things that change people are money and stress right? That's what takes out most marriages. And you think of a team, that's a relationship. So you can easily compare it to a marriage. Anytime there's money questions, it changes people. So people who may be normally good natured and not bothered by it suddenly are very stressed and people act differently when they're under stress. So um, that team is important because on a multifamily deal, single family, you can be in and out six months, a year tops. Multifamily, you're kind of married to them for three to five years. So if somebody on that team, for instance, is not performing, everybody else either has to pull the weight of that person as well, or they have to have a really strong written agreement that they can exit them at some point. Um, And then that's just a broken relationship. And I I hear that community is very important to you. So you understand the downside of that, right? Mm -hmm. So always um, recognize that the team, put more value in your team. The property... Deals come and go all day long. I know in the beginning, it doesn't feel like that. And how many investors told me in the beginning, 
no, Bethany, don't force a deal. Don't force a deal. Don't force Mm -hmm. a deal because I was desperate for that deal. But the reality, I listened to them. Thankfully, I listened and I didn't force those deals. And because of it, I didn't get in bad relationships with bad teams. I didn't get on bad properties that, you know, cost these investors greatly. And so now looking back, I can see the wisdom. there. And so if you team up with somebody that's experienced, right? Looking at the experience, I would also look at what you and your fiance have to offer. So for instance, Mm -hmm. you may be very, very strong in um, say finance and numbers. And so the underwriting side of it really clicks with you. You're very, very good with that. Bringing along the rest of your team that that's all they're good at too. That's not a good team. You want to find people so that your team is built everybody else's weakness is being filled by somebody else mm-hmm. and weaknesses isn't necessarily the world wants to put a negative connotation on that but weakness just more or less refers to if you're passionate about it you're going to do it so even if they're running a w-2 job which you guys may still be for a while when you're running that w-2 job if you're passionate about it they're going to come home and work on it they're going to get busy mm-hmm. if it's not it's just another job when they're tired and this, they're not going to do it yeah I love that, especially, I mean, when you talk about, you know, being passionate about it, I think for me, once I made that leap and decided to to commit full time, then, you know, it was, I wanted to spend that time doing it. But before that, it was just, it, it's, it was more of a, of a job, right? Of, a, of a, another duty versus something that I wanted to do. So thank you for sharing. One more thing, right? <laughs> uh, something I talked about was, uh, you know, working with your husband. I know that you both work together and have been for quite some time and, you know, having acquired so many units in such a short amount of time. Um, I'd love to hear more about that working relationship and how you separate or don't the business side from from the personal side. (laughs) Oh, I'm laughing because we have been married. We just celebrated 20. Hold on. I want to get in trouble and say the wrong number. Uh, 20 something years. He won't notice. 28 years. years. Yeah, 28 years. So 28 years, right? And I've been an entrepreneur for 25 years. So did we have serious challenges that most people don't face? Absolutely. A hundred percent, especially when the other person doesn't understand. Okay. So if the other person is busy going and doing their W-2 job and they're just on paper as a partner, they're not really involved in any way in the business. It is almost always kind of a failure, a setup for failure, because they're just looking at it like it's another job to them and they're analyzing it through that filter. Mm-hmm. So why aren't you off at five o'clock and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you available for this and you're home all day, what are you doing, right? They, so they're filtering it through that. So we've had to <laughs> live and learn a lot. <laughs> there were times that definitely business trips had to be taken and he was not coming. <laughs> Um, I'm sure Brian can attest being in the military and being deployed and and there's different times and things like that as well. When, um, anytime you're married, you, it's a growth. It's, it's not a, a marriage doesn't survive based on, Hey, I got married today. So we're going to be married forever now. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. It's work. It takes effort. And it's so easy for us to fall into a rut when you're with someone day in day out especially when you're in business together because that stress that i told you about that changes people and then the money that changes people those two things are already factors in marriage and then the business side of it just compounds it so we learned one of the things we talked about before i'm in a mastermind every year we have 
a mastermind or a coaching or mentorship program of some kind mm -hmm. that we've been involved with because we recognize if we're not learning and growing as individuals, then we're stagnating and that just becomes stinky and dead. And that's not what we want for us as individuals, nor do we want that for our, our business or our marriage. So we're always literally working on our marriage just the same, but we had to learn to find a way to work that I wasn't going to kill him, that we could still get things done, but how could we work in a way that each person felt comfortable doing it? So we, we did the DISC profile. Mm. Um, we recognized strengths and weaknesses. Obviously, we have a lot of commonalities. So the areas that we were common in, we didn't focus on. We focused on all the areas we were uncommon in. Mm -hmm. And we literally took all the roles of the business and said, okay, this is everything that has to be done. Based on your profile, yeah. highlight them in blue. Based on mine, highlight them in pink. And then all the other ones were the commonality ones that either one of us could do, right? Mm -hmm. So then we really kind of just dialed in our lanes or our roles. Yeah. My husband is phenomenal at building teams and building people up and recognizing this needs to be done. This needs, and quick, quick, quick decision making and doing a very good job. So when you're doing billions of dollars and all that stuff, you know, that part of it just kind of washes out of his mind and he can just focus and do where I'm that very big picture person. Mm -hmm. So on the business side of it, my role is very much separated out and his is more hyper-focused on project management, asset management in that perspective. And then I'm focused on all the, you know, legal and contracts and everything else, right? All the finance and the, you know, we, we laugh and then we joke about it. He's all about finding the deals and I'm all about finding the money, you know, and, and making it work out that way. So as long as, but those two have to come together, right? So we have our, each of our own lanes then we bring them back together. And we had to set up, we didn't do so good in the beginning, trial and error, right? You figure these things out. Um, so we learned to set up a yearly trip and um, quarterly retreats. So our yearly trip, every one of them had to incorporate some kind of fun. Mm -hmm. So our quarterly retreats, it had to be, so like, although this mastermind is, you know, it's our quarterly retreat and yes, we're doing our mastermind, but there's also an element of fun for us in that. Mm -hmm. So everyone had to have an element of fun and it also had a designated time of the work or business, right? So it was limited. And then the, then once we got that expectation in place again, then we were able to focus on the things that needed to be done, set the goals, move forward touch base, where we're at. We also had to develop some interesting spreadsheets and timesheets. And he was not a big fan of that. And he's only been on board literally about a month, but he's finally doing it. <laughs> so figuring that out, right? But it's a mindset thing. We had to break through some things and those breakthroughs take time. Tony Robbins helped out quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Daisy, just just knowing you and Luke a little bit, I, I would imagine you guys have you know a, a lot of synergies you can exploit as well. Just because, I mean, he's he's an engineer by background, and I mean, your your background is in you know international relations and counseling. So I would imagine that if you put your strengths on the table, you know, and figured out who is who, you'd be able to come up with something very similar. Mm -hmm. 
definitely that's something actually that we're going through right now where we're focusing on, you know, each of our strengths. But uh, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Bethany and, and Brian, I mean, at mm-hmm. the beginning when we started doing the podcast, for example, you know, it was very different working styles because being in a relationship is very different than working together. And mm-hmm. so learning, you know, at the beginning, at one point, I was like, I don't think we can work together. I, I think we need to rethink this whole real estate thing. <laughs> and oh, yeah. figuring yeah. out you know, what his strengths were, what mine, and being able to separate, okay, this is work mm-hmm. and this is personal. Uh, and not not integrating both, right? Because you can't take like business problems into your personal life. So it's definitely still ongoing, but yeah, appreciate your insights into, into that. Yeah. Get comfortable with saying, okay, I'm taking my business hat off and I'm putting my wife hat on now. Can you please put your husband hat on <laughs> or vice versa? Just yeah. literally start making that phrase something that you're comfortable so that Tony Robbins puts it as, as it's called a disruptor statement. Mm-hmm. something to break whatever they're in. So if he's talking to you like a business person and not a wife, then you need him to be the spouse at that moment, disrupting his thought process and vice versa. I will be the other way. I'll be business, business, business. And he's like, Hey, can I have my wife back, please? <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. that, that cycle. Um, so another question I had was more so from uh, the underwriting process uh you know once you're looking at a multifamily deal what is the criteria that you look for and what is the level of detail that you go into on the underwriting uh portion when you're doing sensitivity analysis and you know more so of an in-depth in-depth analysis so uh it's a little bit different for us in the sense that we've been nationwide for a long time so for us a strong rental market is the key People look at the markets and they'll go, oh, there's rentals available and there's not rentals available and that's a strong rental market. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with employment. And now what we saw with COVID, right? If your employment base is all like in Hawaii, tourism based, well, they tanked, right? So they, people considered Hawaii a strong rental market for years, but it was all tourism based. So we look at the rental market and So the first thing we do is literally that 10,000 foot level, right? Focus on that market. Is it a strong market? Are there more jobs coming to the area than there are people moving out? Doesn't matter how many people are moving in if there's not jobs to support them, Mm -hmm. okay? So are there more jobs in that area? Is is there growth potential? Is it coming or in the process of coming? Is it already there? Where is it at? Then the next question is for us, because it's affordable housing, right? It's always that affordable housing indicator. So we're looking at it. If um, like in Seattle right now is a huge example. There's only like one day of market inventory right now in Seattle. It's ridiculously low. Um, Our whole Western side of the state is like that right now. There's just no inventory. People still have to live somewhere. So in a market like that, there's the rental demand is great. So people have waiting lists for rentals, right? So that's a strong rental market. So we're looking at a lot of factors when we're looking at, is it a strong rental market? It's not just one key thing. And even before all of that, now ours is always, is it a landlord friendly state? If there's any whisper of legislation of rent control or any of the nonsense that we've had gone on in Washington, Mm -hmm. we won't even consider it. We're walking away. It's just not going to, it's not worth our time or energy because there's so many other places that we can be. So then then we're looking at, okay, hey, we love this market. Uh, we uh, like the 220 unit there in um, Columbus, right? So it's like, we already knew we liked Ohio. We already knew we liked the Dayton Columbus area. So then it's looking at, okay, so which pockets of those areas 
a lot of times what happens, um, like I mentioned earlier, is deals come to us on the back end. Mm -hmm. So right now you guys are coming by the front end, so to speak. I'm trying to reach out to brokers and this and that. And so one of the quickest, fastest, easiest ways is not necessarily to talk to commercial brokers, but it's to talk to real local real estate residential. They know hmm. what school districts they, everybody wants to be in. They know where they can't find rentals. They know, they know way more and they're more free with their time than the commercial ones are. Commercial ones are kind of stingy with their time. Yeah. Then once you that. figure, yeah, it's pretty common, right? Mm -hmm. So then once you figure out, okay, so we're looking in these areas, you're going to start finding, okay, we like this area. We don't like this area. Then it's easier to kind of hone in. Then you just look at all the listings that were sold in that area. Who sold them? Mm -hmm. Reach out, do reverse. You guys are engineers, reverse engineer everything. Everybody else kind of brokers and you do this, you do this. And that's a huge long way. It is, it'll get the job done, but it's a long, slow process. So you want to reverse engineer. When you come to a broker, you say, I'm looking for this and I'm looking for this and I'm wanting in this market and then and this I'm looking for 40 units in East Amarillo, Texas, and I'm not willing to settle for a 2% cap, you know, anything like this. They're still like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. Then they'll start taking you serious. Mm -hmm. So having that information on the front end, when you come to talk with them, they start paying attention a little bit more. Yeah. Then you can get, you got to have something to grab their attention. Well, I hate hate to break in. This has been a, a wonderful, wonderful conversation, but we're about the time where we need to start wrapping up. One more question for each of you. And Bethany, you go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Well, uh, they can reach us on our website, www.americanmadehomesolutions.com. Mm -hmm. Or they can email us, just info at americanmadehomesolutions.com. We respond to both either way. Obviously, we're on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. We respond to all of that. I know, Brian, you reached out mm -hmm. through LinkedIn, so they can easily reach us there as well. All right. Sounds good. And we'll put a link to your email address, to your website, and to your social media profiles in the show notes. So for anybody listening, if you want to learn more about Bethany, you know, go to the show notes and you should be able to just tap a link to take you there. Daisy, same question for you. How can listeners find out a little more about you? Yeah, the best way to reach us is on our website at makeitrainpodcast.com or yep. on Instagram. We're very, very active on Instagram, also on Make It Rain Podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. And just personally, if you wanted to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'm very active on there as well. So Daisy Serrano on LinkedIn is, is the best place to find me. Yep. And your podcast is available on? It's available everywhere. So everywhere. everywhere. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so the Make It Rain Real Estate Podcast and, you know, it is a good podcast. I've listened to several episodes and definitely check it out. All right. Well, ladies, thank you so, so much for, for spending the afternoon with me. I know it's morning for you guys, but uh, mm -hmm. afternoon for me. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Brian, for having us. And Daisy, it was wonderful meeting you. Thank you. Likewise, Bethany. And thank you so much, Brian. Definitely looking forward to staying in touch and to continuing yeah. to support your show as well. Definitely. And once again, congratulations on the upcoming wedding. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.